Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week five of our Apostles' Creed series. In this series, we are using the Apostles' Creed as an outline to teach key biblical passages that form the foundation of our faith. This week, Pastor Brittany Finwick shows us how Jesus is both fully God and fully man, and how through his humanity and deity, we have a king who is willing, able, and worthy. Um, Well, if there were any pieces of that creed where when you got to it, you were like, wait, what am I saying? That's just a little fuel for your fire to keep coming back until we get to that part and we explain it. Um, But we've been taking it piece by piece every week and kind of unpacking and looking. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the portion about Jesus, where it said, In Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We're going to look at why these lines, every single line of the Apostles' Creed is specifically in there for a reason, because it is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. So we're going to look at these lines and figure out why were they included in this ancient creed, and what do they mean practically for us today. As with anything that we're either too familiar with or not familiar with at all, um, it's very easy to just read through things and read it and not really think about why we're reading it. Um, And so we get to this part about being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And you might stop and think, well, why is that essential? When they're putting all of these different doctrines together in this concise statement of belief of all the things that are crucial to land on, why is it important that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? In these two statements, these two short phrases, the creed is affirming that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And this is what we're going to unpack this morning. For some of you, you're hearing that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and you're like, yeah, that's Jesus, of course, right? For others of you, you're like, yeah, I've heard that, but like, how does that work? And like, I don't really understand. And no matter where you land on that, let me tell you that by the end of the sermon, you'll land with the second group of people. Yeah, I've heard that, but I don't really understand it. So if you're feeling like really sure about that, I'm probably going to dismantle that a bit this morning, and I sort of apologize and sort of don't, and you'll see why. I want to say that no matter how confident you feel about knowing that Jesus is fully God and fully man, it's going to get a little bit messy this morning, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, Kenny and I, we, you know, I, I teach about once a month, and so we go through, and he's a full-time firefighter, and I'm full-time on staff, and so we kind of pick through when he's not going to be here, and he's going to be working, when I can step in. Um, and so oftentimes it's selected by the date, but as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, well, this is really convenient, Kenny, that you are gone the week that we are going to teach on something that um, I have personally found to be a lot more confusing than I anticipated. As I started to study Um, I was like, yeah, this is great. I love talking about Jesus. And then the more you study, the more complicated it gets. You would hope that the more you study, the more clear it gets, right? That's the whole point. No, it got more complicated. Um, And so I know that I'm really building your confidence right now, telling you that the person standing up here who's going to talk at you for the next 35 minutes um, just got more and more confused along the way. It's like the blind leading the blind. Um, let me try to win back your confidence a little bit. This is what theologian Wayne Grudem says in talking about the doctrine of the, the human nature and divine nature united in Jesus. He says, it is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever, 
so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. So this morning, my job is to talk to you all about the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. I hope that that rebuilt your confidence. So we're going to dive in. One thing that I just want to preference, as we talk about this divine miracle, this most profound mystery in all of the universe, I love what Kenny said last week. He said, if God is less than mysterious, he is less than magnificent. And I feel like um, part of our, we have this this course called Rooted. It's a spiritual growth class. One of the things we were talking about this last week, it's kind of this mystery of God um, and the wrestle of things, some things feeling clear and some things feeling really unclear and, and we just want to clean them up for him. And, and I love the mystery of God. As I've grown in my faith, I've learned to land a little bit more softly on God's mystery and be able to rest in it because it reminds us of how big and infinite he is and reminds us at the same time of how small and finite we are. I feel like um, when I was younger in my faith, I would feel the need to clean up his mysteries, right? So um, I was, you know, I was that little high school girl before, before I decided to just do my own thing when I was a rule follower and I would tell my friends about Jesus and they would be like, yeah, but what about this? And I thought like, I need to clean this up for God because he left some holes and I'll just clean it up for him, right? So I felt this anxiety of having to clean up for God. Like, God, don't worry about it. I got this. You left some holes. You made some mistakes. But I'm going to come in and I'm going to clean it all up and make a nice, neat little bow, right? What I have learned is that although we are called to love God with all of our hearts and with all of our minds as well, there are are some deep and profound mysteries about the person and nature of our God um, that only serve to remind us that we can search our entire life and he will reveal himself to us more and more, but we in our limited understanding cannot even fathom the depths of our God's goodness and glory and majesty. Amen? Amen? So what God does not need from me or from any of us this morning is for us to clean up his mystery. So we're just going to agree that the mystery of God is totally allowed in this space. Amen? Amen. I feel like I need you guys to feel more confident about that because that's really where we're going to rest today. <laughs> So if you don't feel good about mystery, I don't have a lot of good stuff in store for you. Um, And so he doesn't need us to make him fit into our analogies. He doesn't need us to make him fit into our boxes. Um, In fact, as I was wrestling with this mystery of God and and how to teach something concretely out of something so um, unfathomable, um, the very brilliant Jamie Valentine um, just encouraged me, and I went back and I wrote it in my notes, that it's actually the more mature we are in our faith, the more, or sorry, the more mysterious God is and the more comfortable we become with the mystery of God, actually the more mature we are in our faith. When we're immature in our faith, we feel like we need to have all of the answers and clean everything up for him. But the more we come to know him and the more mature we grow, the more comfortable we are with letting God be God, right? Which is so profound and it makes us be able to take comfort in the mystery of God. And so we're going to find comfort in there this morning. Um, But we're going to dive into this grand mystery, and we are going to explore what God does allow us to be known about the person of Jesus, about him being fully God and fully man at the same time. And there are some concrete truths that God tells us and some ways that that really directly impacts our life, and that's where we're going to explore today. Um, So if you would pray with me, because we're going to need some prayer to get through this, and then we'll jump in. 
Jesus, um, we just want to know you. The only reason we're sitting in seats this morning is because we recognize that there is something in us uh, that was made for something more, and that there is a God who knows us and loves us, and we just long to know you more. And we thank you that you are a God that is so outside of our ability to put in a box, because it reminds us that you are in all and above all. You are so glorious and good. And so may we rest in your mystery while at the same time being able to really um, ingest and meditate on the truths of who you've allowed us to see that you are. Would you illuminate yourself to us this morning through your word? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to open our Bibles to Romans 1, Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at where, kind of where the Apostles' Creed pulls this, this uh, doctrine from, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. So the book of Romans is a letter. It was written to a, a church uh, that Paul hadn't been to, and so he gives a very, a very traditional greeting uh, at the beginning of his letter, um, but he's going to trans, uh, transfer it from a, a greeting straight into some really deep theology right away, and there's a reason for that. And so look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. So right away, uh, Paul jumps in. This is the most theologically meaty book of the Bible. Paul gets into some very deep theology. It gets very confusing. He gets super passionate and will propose a rhetorical question and then right away answer it, by no means. He's very uh, emphatic in this book because he's talking about some really deep theological truths. And so what he does right at the beginning of this letter is he jumps right into a summary of the gospel. Here's what we're talking about right here in one sentence, one very long run-on sentence but one sentence nonetheless, this is what the gospel is. And right away as he's summarizing the gospel, he includes in there this doctrine of Jesus being fully God and fully man. It is central to the gospel that he's going to unpack over the next several chapters. Uh, Many scholars believe that this passage right here was originally itself an early form of a creed that they would memorize because it included all of these essential truths about who Jesus was. And so um, I have a little breakdown so you can see sort of the, 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 I don't know, this is just a cool nerdy thing that I like to do. But you can see in here that essential in this passage is two truths. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so there's a parallel going on here. He says that Jesus was descendant, a descendant from David. Um, that actually, the Greek actually word for word translates out to he was descended from the seed of David. So descended. Uh, descended or was born is the verb. So he was born of the seed of David. This is very physical family lineage language. He was a real man who had a real uh, historical, physical family human lineage. Okay? Very specific language. And then according to the flesh, according to his physical body, according to his physical DNA, this was his physical bloodline. And then he says... According, uh, appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness. So at the same time, he was appointed. 
In some of your translations, it says he was declared to be the son of God. The more accurate translation for that word declared, the way it's used most often is this idea of being appointed. He was assigned. He was designated to be the son of God um, according to the spirit of holiness, according to this Holy Spirit at work in the Trinitarian God. And so we see side by side that, that Paul is starting out the gospel with this very central truth that Jesus was full, at the same time fully man, fully human, with human physical lineage, um, with physical human body, and also fully God, who was appointed by the Father to come down and be the Son according to the Holy Spirit. We see this Trinitarian language at work there, right? And so why does Paul start off his his unpacking of the gospel, the very first thing he says after introducing himself, why is it so important that, that we understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man? <clears throat> we're going to talk about these two separate natures, and then we're going to talk about how they come together. And so first thing that we're going to unpack this morning is Jesus' divine nature. This divine nature where he was appointed as the Son of God according to the spirit of holiness. He had this divine nature. It's really important in the Christian faith to understand that Jesus' divinity is not up for discussion. Over the course of history, there's been different schools of thoughts, different individuals, different heresies that tried to revoke the deity of Jesus. Say he was just a man. Say that he was a good example or a good prophet. Say that when he was born, he wasn't divine, but when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he then became divine. All of these different things. The Bible is very clear over and over again that Jesus has always been the pre-existent son. It's the first part in in your first section of notes. Jesus has always been the pre-existent son. We're going to look, as we look at Jesus' divinity, we're going to jump over to Colossians chapter 1 and look at this passage for a minute. It says, talking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Does this passage leave any room for Jesus to not be God? I mean, over and over again, in every way Paul can, he's like, it's all about him, it's all through him, it's all by him. This Jesus who came and took on flesh, and was born, we celebrate his birthday on Christmas, right? He was there in the beginning. He created. He was a part of the Trinitarian God who created the world. He was always, he always has been, and he always will be the preexistent son in full, in the fullness of God. In John chapter one, it starts out speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, which is the word they use for Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made apart from Jesus. He was in the beginning. He will be at the end. He always has been. He always will be. Where we see the tension is that Jesus came as God incarnate, right? 
So Jesus always has been. He's always been part of this Trinitarian God that we don't fully understand. And at a certain point, he took on flesh. But what that means with Jesus being God incarnate is not that Jesus came as a good example. It means that God himself came down to earth in the form of a human and dwelt with us. That means that God himself was Jesus with flesh on, right? It says he was the image of the invisible God. And it says in verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Um, in Matthew, when Jesus is born, uh, it says you will call his name, um, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was quite literally God here on earth with us in all of his fullness of deity. And so we have this Jesus who always has been and who always will be through whom the whole of creation was made, for whom the whole of creation was made, in whom the fullness of God dwells in bodily form, and by whom are all things being reconciled because of his work on the cross. Because Jesus is fully God, he was able to do what the law and what man could not do. So we're gonna, that's going to be our short, very short discussion on Jesus being fully God. But because he was fully God, he was able to do what the law could never do and what mankind could never do for themselves. The, at verse 20, the end of that Colossians passage, it says, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What most of us know to whatever degree we understand the Bible or understand sin or understand redemption, most of us can agree that things are messed up here, right? Doesn't take a biblical scholar to look around and realize that things are really messed up all around us. And we always think that we're living in the worst of times, right? This is, things have never been this bad. Things have always been this bad, you guys. They've always been this bad. It's been pretty bad. You look through the Bible over and over, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and everything was evil all the time. We see all of these things happening. You look over the course of human history, there have been some really dark times. In, called, in, in fact, they called it the dark ages, right? Because it was just so dark. It's been very bad. It doesn't take a biblical scholar to realize that things are messed up. Something must have happened at some point in history to make us humans so messed up and capable of causing so much damage to each other and to our world. What we see in the Bible is that God made mankind in his own image. He loved them. He walked with them freely in the garden. And because he loved them, he gave them choices, right? They could trust him or they could trust themselves. They could love him or they could choose to not love him. They could be in a right relationship with him or they could turn their backs on him. We know how that story goes, right? I often, when I think back to the fall and I think back to everything that's happened since and I look at people around me and I look at my own life, I sometimes wish that God would just revoke our free, free will. Like, just take it away from us. It should be a privilege. We've been highly irresponsible with that privilege. It should be taken away from us. But what happens if our free will is taken away? We're just robots. We're just robots programmed to love him. And that's not real love. How many of you, if you could create a love potion to make someone fall in love with you and it worked, would feel like that person really loved you? It wouldn't happen. It doesn't exist because love requires choice. And so God created us with choice. And we chose to turn our backs. We chose to trust ourselves. We continually choose that all the time, don't we? To rely on ourselves, on our own understanding, on our own strength. 
And we see in the Old Testament that God's desire for his, is for his people. His desire is for them. He is for them. He loves them. He created us to live, to be healthy, to be free, to be free from the entanglement of sin, to be free from sickness and disease, to be free from shame and guilt. He designed us this way. He wants us, he wants us to be free from all the things that he knows that we don't know will tear us down and choke us out. He knows. He knows his creation. And so he creates these laws, right? He creates these laws. We see them in the Old Testament, all these commandments and all these covenantal laws. He creates all of these laws, not because he's like, you know what I really love? Lawmaking. But because what he really loves is his people. And how many parents here create rules for your kids because you know it's going to hurt them? You don't create rules for your kids because you love rules. If you do, we don't have a parenting ministry here, but I'd love to hook you up with one. <laughs> but we, we, as parents, you create rules because you care about your kids, right? You want to see them grow into healthy, functioning people who are free from the entanglement of addiction and sin and guilt and shame. And that's what our God did. He created rules, laws to help us stay within the, the, the type of life that would give us life and keep us in relationship with him. But all the law could do was show us the rules. All the law does, think about what the law does. The law just shows you what the rule is. It doesn't help you keep it. It doesn't help you get right. It just shows you what the rule is. And so the law was designed to help us know what are the confines to help me live a life that is fulfilling and, and not entangled in sin and, and what, all these things that we've talked about. But all it is, is, is it helps us to see what the rules are. It couldn't take away our sin. It couldn't take away our guilt. It couldn't take away our shame. It doesn't help us get our hearts right. It doesn't do any of that. Neither could we take away our own sins. How many of you have tried to fix yourself? How many of you have tried to fix yourself successfully? Right? We can't do it. How many of us have tried over and over, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. You turn around and you do it again. You're like, what is wrong with me? There must be something fundamentally wrong with me. There is. You're not alone. (laughs) We are broken and we are prone to wander and we are prone to trust ourselves and rely on ourselves and, and seek things that are not good for us because our flesh is weak, right? And so because Jesus was God, He could accomplish what the law could never accomplish for us and what us on our own could never accomplish for ourselves. It was only because he himself was God that he could accomplish what he accomplished. And so the consequences of sin and rebellion, all of that, it had to be paid somehow because our God is just. We have walked away from the Lord. We have rebelled. We have said, I'll do it my own way. Something has to make that right. And because, because he's just, he knows it has to be paid. And because it was humans who, who, who rebelled, who are caught up in sin and shame, it had to be through a human that it was made right. Does that make sense? So we've got God knows that it has to be made right, but it needs to be made right through a human because humans have to pay the consequence for our rebellion. And so what do we get? God's like, I've got an idea. I'll come down and be one of you and I'll take it for you. Because only he could accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. And so we meet Jesus, this God who decides, I'm going to take it for you. And he comes down and he takes on these human bodies and he becomes one of us. 
This is that divine mystery. How? How did the God of the universe come down and take on flesh and become one of us? There are so many questions in that that we wrestle with, that scholars and theologians wrestle with, and does it mean this, does it mean that? Where we need to land this morning is that what kind of a God who is enthroned in majesty and glory in heaven decides, you know what, I'm going to come down, I'm going to put on this fragile body, maybe it has some love handles, maybe it's like a dad bod, right? Who knows what all of his physical features were, limitations, physically. I'm going to come and I'm going to put on this physical body and I'm going to dwell with all of you here on this broken earth with all of these broken people. What kind of a God would do that? Our God did. So we see that he has this fully, he is fully God with his divine nature, and then he is fully man with his human nature. He takes on this human nature. John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is the incarnation that we talked about, right? Incarnation means he came incarnate. He came in flesh, God with us in the flesh. The Son of God, God himself, leaves his glory in heaven and comes down here to be one of us. The the humanity of Jesus is equally as important as the deity of Jesus. It's really important to understand that Jesus was fully human. There have been other schools of thought over the course of history that try to argue, well, Jesus was like this God who came like an angel, and he came and he had like a body, but he was actually God. He wasn't a real human. It is really important that we know that Jesus was fully human. He was a human with full human experiences. He had a full range of human experiences. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. I used to think when I was young and I would think about Jesus, I used to think, okay, so he's fully God and, you know, he says all these like kind of cryptic things, right? And so Jesus was like kind of this like God, like in a robot human body, like walking around on water, saying these really like strange things that like can't really understand. I just thought like he's not really this, this human like we are humans. He's somehow this hybrid God robot person who like doesn't have real emotions he kind of, you know, he just, he kind of says weird things in the Bible. If you don't know that Jesus kind of says weird things in the Bible, you need to read the Bible more because Jesus says kind of weird things in the Bible. And we're like, I feel like you know what you're talking about, but I can't really understand it. But we know from looking at scripture that Jesus was a real human. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He gets tired. We see him get angry, right? We see him get weary physically and mentally, We see him get sad and discouraged. We see him be disappointed. We see him be proud. We see him be excited and happy. All of this full range of human emotions. He mourns in the garden. um, In Luke chapter 22, in the garden, it says that, and being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Agony. Worry. Not because he didn't know what was going to happen, but because if you knew for sure that you were going to die on a cross, wouldn't you be agonizing over the suffering you were about to endure? God was fully, Jesus was fully 
human. He experienced a full range of human emotions and experience. Why does this matter? It matters because, because he was one of us, he serves as our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews, Hebrews talks about this in chapter 2 and chapter 4. The one we just read says he becomes a merciful and faithful high priest. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever just feel like you wish that someone really understood what you've been through? Do you ever just feel like your experience of hardship or tragedy or suffering or, or stress or whatever it is that you experience, do you ever just feel like everyone who gives you advice or tries to support you, like they just don't really understand? I know for me, I'm, I, I should in another life I was a lawyer. My family always told me I should have been a lawyer. One, yes, I just like to argue. Sorry, Ben, for your future. But also, <laughs> but also, I feel this need to, to fight. Like, if something is right, I just want to fight for it. And I'm always like, let me have that conversation with you. Let me have that confrontation for you. Just want to get in there and fight. Do you ever just wish that someone who understood what you were going through would say, I got this for you, and just fight for you? This is what Jesus does for us because he knows Our God as our Father loves us and will always fight for us. But because Jesus came down and experienced what we experience, he knows what we experience. He knows what we've been through. And so he acts on our behalf as our faithful high priest and goes to God and mediates on our behalf. Later in Hebrews, it says that Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead, he always lives to intercede for us. You always have from now till eternity somebody who knows you so deeply and so fully, who knows every way that you've been wronged, every way that you've been hurt, every way that you've been disappointed, and he lives to fight for you. That is what he is doing all the time, is fighting for you. How many of you feel like if you really believe that that was true, life would look different? If I could really just remember that God is for me and that Jesus lives to continue to fight for me in prayer. It changes everything. We're not alone. You are not alone. Your situation is not unique. You are not the only one who's been hurt. Jesus has experienced the full range of human experiences. If you feel like you've been betrayed, try pouring your life into someone for, 12, for three years one of these 12 people that you've given your whole self to, that they've seen you in all of your glory and majesty, and then them turn around and betray you to death for some silver. Jesus knows. He knows. So he is our high priest. He is a God who understands. He longs to be gracious to you. He longs to come alongside you and walk with you and lavish you with grace as you walk with him and trust him. Because he was fully God, he could do what no man could do for themselves, and he could do what the law could never do for us. As a human, Jesus obeyed in our place, and he died in our place. As God, he did what no man could do, and as man, he did what we could never do. He obeyed, for us, and he died for us. 
when we couldn't obey, when we couldn't be good enough, Jesus shows up and obeys perfectly and then lets us get credit with him. He obeys perfectly, is the perfect son, is fully righteous, and when we give our lives to him, we become hidden in him. It's like he stands before God and we just get to hide right behind him and take credit for all of his righteousness when we never deserved it and never earned it. Where we should have had to pay for our unrighteousness, Jesus pays it instead. He obeys where we couldn't obey and he died so we didn't have to. Romans, Romans 5, verses 18 to 21, Paul says, So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, right? From the garden, there was condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through the one man, Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, to show us how many, how many ways that we were falling short. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus came down as God to do what only God could do. And he came in the form of man to do what man could not do. Where mankind didn't trust, Jesus trusted God for us. Where mankind disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Where mankind turned our backs on God and went our own way, Jesus was faithful all the way to the cross. This is so that when we trust him, we not only receive salvation, we not only receive salvation from sin. If, if we were just forgiven from our sin, we would be left in a neutral standing before God. Does that make sense? If all Jesus did was die for us, our penalty would be taken and we would stand neutral before God. But because Jesus also obeyed so fully, what we are given is his righteousness. So we're not left in neutral standing as if we never sinned. We are left like we acted and obeyed like Jesus. That is how God sees us. How many of you feel like you are deserving of that? It's too much. We don't deserve it. It would be one thing if he just forgave us. But then he clothes us in Christ's righteousness and we stand before God and he sees what Jesus, how Jesus lived. And we get to take credit with Jesus, his righteousness and not our own unrighteousness. And so we have this God-man, as he's often called, this fully God and fully man Jesus. He is both the God of creation and the historical human figure, Jesus of Nazareth, at the same time. And the union of these two people is one of the most profound mysteries and miracles in all the universe. But what we get when this God from heaven takes on the form of man here on earth and lives and breathes and dies and is resurrected from the dead, what we are left with is Jesus, the messianic king. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Jesus is our messianic king. Throughout the Old Testament, they're pointing towards this Messiah, this Savior who would come and do what the law could never do, this Savior who would come and save what we could never save on our own. All of Scripture is pointing to this Messiah. And what happens when Jesus comes and he does everything that he says he's going to do and he rises from the dead is he takes his seat on the throne next to God the Father. 
He sits on the throne. In Jeremiah 23, 5, the prophecy said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This was fulfilled when God came to earth and took on human flesh. This promised Messiah king came as a baby from the physical line of David. He came as a king that they did not expect. He came and he executed justice in a way we couldn't have anticipated by being the justice for us, by taking the place for us. He came and he brought righteousness in a way we couldn't have expected by giving us his own. This will be more fully realized when Jesus comes back again. This is looking towards, it's fulfilled twice. It was fulfilled when he came once and it will be fulfilled all the more when he comes again and makes everything right and new. But as we wait for the second coming, we wait knowing who's on the throne. We wait sure of who is on the throne. Who we have on the throne is a king who is willing. Your God loves you. Your God is for you. He is willing to do whatever it takes to rescue you. Even leave the glories of heaven and put on a finite body to come down and live life just to die for you. He longs to reconcile you to himself, to give you life, to give you freedom. to redeem all of it. You don't have to try to convince him to do this for you. The desire of his heart is to do all of this and more. He is fully willing to do more than you could ask or imagine. We also have a king who's able. Because this Jesus who paid it all is fully God and fully able to do anything, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. If he was just willing, that wouldn't do us much good. If he was just willing but had no power to save us, had no power to redeem us, had no power to enter into all of our various struggles and work it out with us, it wouldn't do us much good. But we have a king who's not only willing, but he is able Again, able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine if we would trust him. He is good and he is gracious and he is faithful and he is loving and he is powerful and all-knowing and unchanging. This is your king. And all of this leaves us with a king who's worthy. Where we land as we try to unpack the mystery and miracle of Jesus as fully God and fully man is that he is so worthy of our response. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our efforts. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's worthy of us getting over ourselves. He's worthy of our prayers and he's worthy of our worship. And so we're going to worship him this morning. And as we worship, my hope is that the Lord spoke to your heart somehow this morning. And so as you sit here, as we move into a time of worship, of response, I would invite you to to reflect on what has God said to your heart this morning because you're going to leave here and it's going to be really easy to forget. And what the enemy wants to do is have it fall right out of your head. Talk to the Lord. Wrestle with him about it. Do you need to remember this morning that he understands you? Do you need to know 
that no matter what you're going through, you have a God who understands you. Do you need to remember that he's able? He's not some weak man, but he is God Almighty. Or do you remember that he's worthy of your life? Do you need to repent this morning? Have you been trusting in other things? Have you been going your own way? Have you turned your back? Jesus is ready. He always stands ready for second chances and third chances and hundredth chances. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.